0: The prospects are coming. The prospects are coming. And we'll ask minor league expert Rob Gordon about them next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. 7-15, 7-15, there's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. the fireworks are going. Here's a pitch on the way, a swing and a belt, Go field, way back, Blue Jays win it, the Blue Jays are World Series champions, as Joe Carter hits a 3 Learn to play the winner's way,
1: because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May the 12th and show number 17 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to minor league expert Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com, we'll have our regular contributors from the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst is columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator again this week, talking about whether you should trade Josh Hamilton right now. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon comes back To look at St. Louis outfield prospect Oscar Tavares. And in his master notes, baseballhq.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about how they're dropping like flies. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Albert Pujols finally hit his first home run, and Josh Hamilton was hitting four in a game. We gotta talk some baseball. And to open our show, as always, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Thanks a lot, Patrick.
0: Nick, let's focus on some bullpen changes. This getting to the time of the year when sometimes that's the most important news that's coming out of any league. And uh, I guess the first place to look is in Los Angeles where, to the surprise of few, Javi Guerra is out as closer and Kenley Jansen is in.
1: Yeah, Kenley Jansen has been announced as a closer. He hasn't had a safe situation, I think, since that announcement. But Kenley Jansen, we've been waiting on because of his superb skill set. Uh, we figured he would eventually take over that particular role. Although, although uh, Guerra has done a pretty good job, but Jansen has a uh, huge DOM rate so far this year. In seventeen games, he struck out fourteen point eight batters per nine innings. Decent control. A uh, uh, only problem with Jansen is, is perhaps a fairly high fly ball rate at fifty two percent. But Here's a guy who can certainly do the job, and with that kind of strikeout rate, uh, he should work very well as a closer in L.A.
0: Is there anything that, when you look at Jansen's skill set, is there anything that makes you think maybe he can't do the job? Because it all looks pretty good.
1: It all looks really good. I, you know, that contro- his control rate is a little bit high. He walks about four batters per nine innings. And with the amount number of strikeouts that he gets, that should be okay. Uh, but that's the one thing you might kind of keep an eye on. If he got uh, got wild some night and walked the bases loaded or something, that might give the manager a real scare.
0: Yeah, and, and even a walk plus a home run or something like that, although he's never really had much uh, home run trouble. Despite giving up a lot of fly balls, his fly ball percentages the last three years all right around 50%, which is a little worrisome for a closer. You like to see those uh, fly ball ratios a little bit lower and the ground ball, a little bit higher than the low 30s, as is the case with Kenley Jansen.
1: Right, very definitely. But, uh, you know, we've been waiting on, on Jansen, thinking he's got the skill set to do it, and so now it looks as though he's going to have
0: the opportunity. Some opportunities arising in San Diego as well, with Houston Street on the DL. We've already heard about and talked about Andrew Kashner, but now there's a new name popping up: Nick Dale Thayer.
1: Yeah, you know Dale Thayer came out as kind of a surprise. We expected uh, that Andrew Kashner would get the would get the job, and Kashner uh, 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 had a, had a rough outing, and suddenly Thayer got the uh, got the opportunity, and now has notched two saves in the last week. And when you look at uh, at Thayer's. Uh, Thayer's uh, pitching so far this season. He's done very, very well. I, he's only uh, only thrown six innings, but to gotten five strikeouts in those six innings has yet to walk anyone. And uh, our projections are not actually bad on Thayer. A uh, Projecting a 6.4 DOM rate, a 2.1 control. Uh, so uh, we, his BPV projected is 85. We'd like to see it at 100 for a closer. But here's a guy who certainly has the skills he could do a job. Also has a decent uh, ground ball rate. 47% ground ball rate, so... Once again, uh, the, the elements are there for Thayer to be able to do a decent job in the, in the uh, time that Houston Street is out.
0: One thing Dale Thayer has going for him, Nick, is uh, a long track record as a closer in the minor leagues, 170-some saves as a minor league pitcher. and I know it's different in the majors, but we say at BaseballHQ.com that there are three factors in getting saves. and One of them is skill, of course. One of them is opportunity, which we've been talking about. And the third one is just being comfortable in that role. And looks like Dale Thayer, although it hasn't been at the major league level, at least we know he's been in the ninth inning. He knows what that's all about. There's a third guy as well, Nick, we should talk about. What do you think of Luke Gregerson, who seems to have been kind of pushed off to the side lately?
1: Yeah, Gregerson is a guy we've, we've uh, touted before in terms of having an excellent skill set. And so her, he certainly is a possibility as well. Uh, they've got really three guys in that bullpen who could do the job Uh, It appears that that will be a short-term situation in San Diego. The Houston Street should be back before too long. And so my guess is at this point that they'll kind of hang on. If Thayer's doing the job, he'll probably get most of the the, uh, save opportunities as long as we're dealing with a short-term situation over there.
0: The problem when you are trying to decide how much fab do you bid on on, uh, any one of these guys is In a situation where there's no clear choice, the guy who's got the role today is one bad outing away from losing the role to the next guy in line, and they seem to have a lot of options here. So while we do like uh, all of these guys, and perhaps they are a little more right at the moment, this is not a guy to spend 75% of your remaining fab on because uh, between the likelihood of Street coming back and the likelihood of, like I said, one bad outing ruining the whole thing, not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah,
1: definitely. That's definitely something to... uh... To keep in mind, I mean, the problem with all of these guys, if you've been, if you've been keeping up with the news, uh, the the change in say in in save opportunities has been uh, just a, a merry-go-round in both leagues over the past few weeks
0: especially in Miami where they finally removed Heath Bell from the role. And gosh, I wonder if there's an injury issue there that we're not hearing about or that they don't know about or something. But Heath Bell's been hugely ineffective, so they finally took him out of the role. And that seems to have opened the door for Steve Sisek. We talked about him a week or two ago, Nick. But uh, now Edward Muhika has moved into the uh, consideration as well and may even have the front running role.
1: Yeah, Mujica has gotten the last couple of save opportunities. There haven't been a huge number of save opportunities over there in Miami, but they, they seem to like Sissek in a longer role, three, three innings, for example, the other night he threw in relief, uh, whereas they seem to be looking at Mujica in the shorter-term ninth-inning role. Uh, he's picked up two saves in, in 15 games, one over the past week, uh, pitching very, very well, but uh, there's some things to, to to watch out with with, with Mujica. You've got a, um, a DOM rate so far of only five strikeouts per nine innings, uh, walk rate of 2.5, so that command is sort of borderline. Uh, our BP, the BPV currently for Mujica is 46. We'd like to see it closer to 100. Uh, there certainly is the uh, uh, his, his history would suggest that he could do better than that. Uh, but at this point, uh, uh, the last like the last two years, the last three years, very very good BPV: 99 in 2009, 169 in 2010, 116 in 2011. Uh, but so far this year, it's been, uh, been scuffling just a little bit because his DOM rate has been down. If he gets his DOM back up, uh, he can certainly run with the roll and hang on to it.
0: Kind of makes you wonder, though, Nick, a guy who's uh, in those three good years, you mentioned his uh, DOM rate strikeouts per nine was 9.3 a couple of years ago, all the way down to five this year, and I understand it's early and he only has a handful of innings, about 14 innings. But a lot of times when you see that abrupt decline in strikeout rate, Sometimes, you're again, you're, you might be looking at an injury, and this guy in the past has also had trouble giving up the long ball.
1: He has indeed. So uh, certainly some things to watch on. I, not, not a guy that I think I would spend a lot of money on in terms of uh, a, a long-term situation out there. Uh, and the other, the other thing to think about, too, is if Heath Bell is not injured and is able to just deal uh, dealing with some mechanics or getting his head straight, uh, they spent so much money on him, they'll put him back in that role.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes the decision gets made by the paycheck rather than by any of the skills. Uh, I still like Sishek, to tell you the truth, Nick. Uh, fairly low walk rate, a fairly high DOM rate the last couple of years, including this year, and uh, almost no home runs because he's got a pretty high ground ball rate. So um, Sishek seems like he might be the kind of guy you want on your roster, even if he's not getting saves because, you know, if Bell gets hurt or is ineffective again and again, the the skills will out in the long run.
1: Yeah, I think Sissick certainly has the skills, and it's just a matter of the manager deciding who's going to be out there in the ninth inning. But uh, Sisak has the skills to do uh, to be very successful in that uh, in that closer role if he gets a chance.
0: And finally, Nick, another established closer, if there's such a thing in this uh, day and age, was Carlos Marmol in Chicago, and the Cubs threw him out of the closer role after he blew three out of his first five or something like that, including a real bad meltdown on May 3rd, and that seems to be uh, have opened the door for a couple of guys, James Russell, but especially a rookie named Rafael Dolis. How do we like him?
1: You know, Rafael D'Elys right now has gotten three saves. Uh, looks if you if you just look at what's out there in terms of the numbers, looks like he's got the opportunity and appears to be running with it. But you know, something to if you look at the skills, Rafael D'Elease right now has a BPV of a minus thirty one. I'm gonna say that again, that's a minus thirty-one. The problem is low Dom, he struck out only five batters in nineteen innings, so a two point three Dom rate. Uh, that's not gonna get you anywhere, actually, in terms of in terms of closing. Uh, has been walking way too many batters, uh, 3.7 walks per nine innings, so walking more than he's striking out. Now, to be fair, a bunch of those walks, he's walked eight guys all together in 19 innings. Five of those came very early, so maybe he's straightened something out in that period of time. But still, with that dom rate, uh, not somebody you're, you're going to be able to count on much in terms of a, uh, of a closer. He does have a good ground ball rate, about a 50% ground ball rate, and we expect it to stay there. Uh, but this is a guy who's not... Uh, uh, projected, projected, balance BPV, minus 4 for the year. Not a guy who has the skills to close long term.
0: And for anybody who's not familiar, BPV is base performance value, and it's a combination of all the metrics we use at BaseballHQ.com to assess actual pitcher skill versus uh, results-based kind of thinking. So uh, if Dolis is not going to be the long-term solution, then you got James Russell. But Nick, his trouble seems to be he's the only left-hander they have in the bullpen, which if they use him as a closer, now you've got matchup problems in the earlier innings
1: yeah very definitely i think I think uh, I really think the Cubs have got a lot of problems in the bullpen they they may have to start looking outside the uh their immediate roster and maybe even outside the organization to get some help before the uh, the end of the season.
0: All right, Nick, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. All right,
1: thanks a lot, Patrick
0: Harold Nichols is the director of skills analysis at BaseballHQ.com dot com and our national league newsman here at baseball h q Radio. Now let's move on to the American League and baseball h q dot com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show. Another exciting week, Patrick. I was going to ask you, Matt, about Josh Hamilton and his big four homer, eight RBI day, but I guess you're going to be talking about him a little later in the Market Pulse.
2: Yeah, it's a real dilemma for Hamilton owners, so we're going to talk about some of the thought processes you may need to go through when deciding whether or not to
0: trade or keep him. All right, in the meantime... There's some news coming out of various bullpens. We just finished talking to Harold Nichols in the National League. All we talked about was bullpens over there. So let's keep the ball rolling in uh, Los Angeles. The Angels of Anaheim have traded for Ernesto Frieri, And I guess the question on everybody's mind is, what possibilities are this guy steps up and takes over a closer role?
2: After they figure out who is Ernesto Frieri? for a lot of players, Uh, he's had great skills in the San Diego bullpen here for the last year. He has really good dominance, but he has a real bad fly ball tendency. Uh, on the road last year, though, he did much. He did 238 ERA, so he wasn't just a Petco project. He had 63 strikeouts in those 53 innings on the road, so Fieri has proven he can survive outside of Petco, and I'm sure the Angels looked at that before they uh, traded for him. He did have a 4.0 control, so he's got some... Walk issues he's got to make sure he takes care of. And he does, again, have that home run issue because of the high fly ball rate. He can cover up for that high fly ball rate in San Diego and Petco, but in the Angels Park, which is more neutral, that could come back to bite him. So this guy's got to keep the ball over the plate and keep the ball in the park, but he certainly has the arm to blow away hitters when necessary.
0: Boy, I'll say, I was just looking at his uh, 2010 through 2012, 11.7 strikeouts per nine, then a little fall off to 10.9, which is still pretty good. And then this year, 15.1. You have to like anybody who can get get those strikeouts in that fashion.
2: Kenley Jansen's gotten a lot more publicity for his strikeout rate, but Fieri is certainly matching it this far in the
0: season. All right. In Chicago, they've really surprised a lot of people by right out of left field deciding that Chris Sale was going to move from the rotation where he had been enjoying some success, and they were going to make him the closer, which really caught a lot of people off guard. But now apparently Chris Sale's suffering from some Um, unspecified elbow injuries. He's got an MRI coming up this week sometime uh, on his pitching elbow. This situation looks like it's pretty fluid, and that makes Addison Reed look like a a good possibility here.
2: Well, a lot of the people who are like minor leaguers have been touting Reed from the beginning of the season, actually in the preseason, and he went for a nice value in a lot of leagues assuming this would happen. And we have to warn you, by watching this White Sox, how they're managing this bullpen, who knows what's going to happen? because they've had Matt Thornton, a highly skilled reliever there, for ages, and they won't just give him the closer job. They keep moving guys around without any rhyme nor reason that we can see from the outside. So don't assume Reed will just walk in and get all these saves. However, know that he is the best skilled. Him and Thornton are the best skilled relievers in that bullpen. He had a 151 base performance value, which is the metric we use to encapsulate all of our values here at Baseball HQ in his first 11 innings with a 2.65 expected ERA. 14 strikeouts and only three walks. So these are totally backed up by his 2011 Major League Equivalents, which were a 187 BPV and a 139 ERA. So this guy uh, definitely has the arm. He's been pushed through the system very quickly, but they seem a little recent to give him that job right off the bat, and even still they seem to be shuffling guys around here and there for whatever reason that, that they know and no one else does. But this is a, a
0: great arm, just not a guaranteed closer. Well, they did give Matt Thornton an opportunity recently, and he didn't handle it well. And, of course, they also tried uh, Hector Santiago, a fairly wild left-hander in the role, and he rang up a few saves, but he was uh, not not really good on the skill side and not really good on the results side, except for the saves. A big ERA, big, big whip, a lot of strikeouts. But uh, I think Addison Reed looks like the best choice of the bunch if they decide to make the best choice, don't you think? He
2: does if he has the mental makeup. Remember a couple weeks ago, we did tell you that Santiago would struggle. Even though he had the role, he didn't have the skills to support the role. Reed is just the opposite. He has the skills. We're just waiting for him to see if he has the makeup and the guile to fulfill the role of the closer.
0: Yeah, well, we will see that, I guess, over the next couple of weeks. And then, of course, everything will start again. If Chris Sale turns out to be relatively okay and is only out for a week or two, then he'll come back and all eyes will be on him. This is a mess, uh, it looks like, in Chicago until they finally just decide to do something and stick with it. Toronto's also got a bullpen situation. Sergio Santos is on the disabled list. They had Francisco Cordero as kind of a backup, closer, setup guy. He had a couple of terrible outings. and He's done now. They're saying Casey Jansen gets the ball. How do we play Casey Jansen?
2: Well, Jansen certainly got a lot better skills than Cordero. Again, we had warned you that Cordero's skills had plummeted in the last several years, a horrible strikeout rate in 2011, trying to transform into a ground ball pitcher late in his career, but he wasn't the same Francisco Cordero who had been so successful years before. Jansen does have closer worthy skills. If we look at last year, his base performance value, 118, and an expected area of 3.04. Uh, He entered earlier in the week 277 expected ERA and a 170 base performance value. So this guy uh, also has excellent skills, but most people wouldn't realize it because they're going to see an ERA around five because he's been very unlucky with the home run rate. He's given up 2.6 homers per nine innings and has a 25% home run to fly ball rate. We know this early in the season you're going to see a lot of unusual statistics that will normalize over time. This guy's doing a great job pitching. He's just had a couple fly balls leave the yard, which really skews his stats in the short term. We expect that to balance out and expect Jansen to be an effective pitcher this year. When Santos comes back, he'll take over the closer role, but for the next few weeks, Jansen's certainly got the skills to help you. Uh, get those saves, and contribute as a middle reliever the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, he's got that big uh, strikeout rate and a minuscule control right now, under one walk per nine innings, which is outstanding, giving him a 12.0 command uh, strikeouts to walks. And the thing about a guy like Jansen, that you you make a good point about him having value even if and when Santos comes back and does well and reclaims the closer role, Jansen's going to be in that mix. Toronto's a good young team. They score runs. They're in most games. This guy could easily vulture you a five or six wins in addition to getting you five or six saves, whatever, while Santos is, is remains on the DL. Casey Jansen the kind of player that smart rotisserie and fantasy owners really like having on their rosters.
2: Yeah, you look for those skills. He controls the zone. Probably not the same strikeout pitcher as Freire uh, or Addison Reed, but uh, controls the zone. A veteran pitcher has been through the wars before. Is not going to get shaken up as much if he has a bad outing. Uh, I think Jansen's certainly a gem there, a hidden gem with that high ERA.
0: Staying in Toronto, the uh, worst news probably for a team that's doing pretty well is that their middle-of-the-order terror, uh, Jose Bautista, is just off to a horrendous start.
2: He sure is. He's only batting about 183 as of May 9th. Dave Adler did a piece on him and pointed out that his expected batting average is actually 243. He's at a very low hit rate. Only 18% of his balls falling in for hits. Normally it's about 28%, and that's what's causing his bad batting average. His contact rate is actually higher than he's posted each of the last five years at 81%. He's still getting on base, walking 15% of the time. So if you have an on-base league, he's a great target. It's just that his home run per fly ball rate is down to only 12%. It's been almost twice that each of the past two seasons. So... His fly ball rate's the same, he's just not as many are going out of the park. And again, when you're looking this early in the season, when you look at the numbers, you have to take them with a grain of salt and assume that they're going to normalize more toward recent. He may not hit 23% again as he did in 2011, but certainly he should surpass 12% uh, to provide lots of home runs for your team in 2012.
0: Yeah, you'd think so, Matt. But you know what? When I look at this stat set over the last few years, if you compare what he's doing this year, 2012, with what he did three years ago in 2009, the skills are almost identical. You know, and the results are pretty much almost identical too. You're looking at a 243 xBA this year, 239 back in 2009. His uh, home run per fly ball rate, 12 percent, as it is again this year. His power index, 106 this year, 102. Is there any possibility this guy has just come down to earth after two terrific years for whatever reason?
2: It certainly is possible. It's certainly possible that pitchers have found a hole in his game that they're exploiting. That's certainly possible. But in this early in the season, and because his fly ball rate's uh, the same, his fly ball rate was only 42% back in 2009, he still maintained the same fly ball rate, actually, and line drive rate and ground ball rate as he did in 2011. Or if his hit rate was average, I would say he's just not driving the ball anymore with power, but since everything uh, seems to point to that hit rate and his contact is better, I would, if I was to bet from here on out, I'd bet a return closer to 2010 or 2011 rather than closer to 2009 for the remainder of the season. Uh, at least that's the way I would lean. I don't know if he's going to hit 300 again, but his expected batting average in 2010 and 2011 did support uh, the 300 average. It was over 300 both of those years. So I think that there's plenty of time for Bautista. I think this is a normal slump that sometimes players go through, and I would expect him to rebound at this point. If we get to July-August at that point, maybe you say, hey, something's definitely changed here and he's not making through it. But at this early point in the season, this is a guy I'm definitely buying low on.
0: One other thing about Toronto, Matt, they signed Vladimir Guerrero to a minor league deal. I guess it's kind of up in the air whether he'll play. He's not on the roster. Should we be uh, saving up some fab nickels and dimes for Vlad Guerrero?
2: I don't think so because uh, being a year older, is getting more and more injury plagued, has those leg problems, so when he is active, he's on the DL a lot. Uh, he's also going to be on the wrong side of the platoon. there, most likely with Adam Lind. I don't think they're going to bench Lind unless he's really slumping. They tend to have a lot of bodies for that area. And I think they look at him as a left, a, a guy against lefties only that can help, uh, balance out the roster a little bit. And I think that would be his role. I would bet he only gets a hundred at bats, 150 at bats from here on out. Even if they do sign him and he works his way back to the major leagues.
0: Down in Minnesota, Matt, uh, the, uh, Music has stopped and the infield has shuffled and people are flying in and out. Valencia has been sent down to the minor leagues. Jamie Carroll, who had been playing short, is now going to be kind of a combination utility third baseman with Trevor Plouffe and a cast of thousands. Uh, and this new guy, Brian Dozier at shortstop. First of all, is there anybody here that we want on our roster? And if so, who?
2: Well, I think Dozier's got some potential long term. He hit 311 in A last year, stole 11 bases and 311 at bat. So he's got some... Power, a little seven home runs and 311 bats, got some speed, can hit for average, solid contact rate, 85% uh, contact rate throughout the minors, but he's nowhere near a superstar. He's impatient at the plate. As he moved up to AA last year, he stopped walking so much. This year in AAA, 276, a homer, two stolen bases, and 105 at-bats. His eye was decent at 0.61. His contact rate was maintained at 83%. This is your typical middle infielder who's going to hit 270 and hit, you know, five, ten home runs and steal ten bases, maybe 15. Uh, deeper your league, the more important he is. The shallower the league, the less important he is. Uh, the interesting guy I think here is Jamie Carroll, uh, he gets on base a lot. He's got a 12% walk rate. He's going to be shuffled around, and, and I'm guessing he's going to play third base, although he has not played there yet. I'm guessing he's going to see a lot of time at third base with Ploof. It was an interesting signing for a last-place team to sign a 39-year-old veteran. But Carroll was very effective last year, especially those of you who are in simulation games like Stratomatic. He has uh, good on base. He's a good fielder, scrappy ball player, the kind of player every manager likes to have on their team. It's just that he makes more sense on a contending team rather than a rebuilding team because of his age. Uh, he can teach the players how to play the game the right way. Again, very patient at the plate, gets on base, scraps to get runs, has no power, puts the ball in play.
0: Yeah, I wondered about that signing at the time. And I mean, you say that he gets on base a lot and he does by comparison with those other guys in Minnesota, but his on-base percentage so far this year, just around 306. Uh, in the past three or four years, it has been better than that, but gosh, a uh, last-place team signing a guy coming in, into such a late part of his career on the strength of really one solid year or a couple of solid years, I don't know, it seems like a bad idea, and as Chris Olson of BaseballHQ.com wrote in his analysis, we probably haven't seen the last of the shuffling.
2: Yeah, there's going to be some things as they move on. Sometimes I think some of these teams in the lower tier sign guys like this just as trade chips for July to try to flip them over for a younger player in their organization that maybe could offer some long-term value.
0: And finally, before we let you go, Matt, uh, Chris Iannetta of the Angels goes to the disabled list. Uh, this is not a good situation for the Angels.
2: No, uh, it's interesting, Uh they sure wish they had Mike Napoli back, maybe. Uh, they got rid of Napoli because they had to play Mathis because they wanted that defense, and as soon as they got rid of Napoli, they started bringing in Hank Conger, who's now in the DL on AAA, even though he's ripping the ball. But he didn't last. He wasn't good enough. And then they got Ionetta and now he's hurt, and they're going back to Bobby Wilson, who's really not much of a contributor at any fashion here in the fantasy perspective, sort of like another Jeff Mathis now that they shipped him off to Toronto. So I don't understand. I don't know if... Uh, Mike Socia being an excellent catcher in his days, trying to find someone that measures up to what he did. But they certainly have cycled through a lot of catchers considering the fact they had Mike Napoli right there in their lap for free.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Uh, this is going to be something that could really have an effect on the Angels as they pursue probably the best team in the league in Texas. Uh, Matt, thanks very much for doing this. Your Market Pulse commentary about Josh Hamilton a little later in the show. So we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Look forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with minor league expert Rob Gordon comes up next. You are listening to Baseball HQ Radio.
1: I gambled on on other sports other than baseball. I never gambled on baseball, but uh, I think I'm uh, being punished pretty severely.
3: Baseball HQ Radio. Ah.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. It's our pleasure now to be joined by Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst and a real expert about all those prospects play such an important role in modern fantasy baseball. Rob, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
4: Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show again.
0: Well, of course, you're here every week with your regular minor league minute, but it's a chance for us to catch up on some of the prospects in a longer form and uh, and find out about a lot of guys at once. And uh, let's start with some of the big-name call-ups that we've had over the last couple of weeks. No bigger name probably than Bryce Harper of Washington. Might not be the wisest thing from a financial standpoint from them, although I hear they're selling a lot of tickets to, to see him, so maybe that's offsetting the loss to the arbitration process a little bit. But how good is Bryce Harper, and how good is he going to be?
4: Well, I think he's he's already pretty good. I mean, the fact that he's a 19-year-old and can can more than hold his own at the major league level is already uh, you know evidenced, and I, and I think it just kind of hints at the potential talent he has there. Um, certainly he seems to at least have rubbed a, a couple players the wrong way. <laughs> um, you know, but he comes, he comes, uh, to the game ready to play. He's got a lot of inc- excitement and enthusiasm. Um, you already seen, you know, a little bit of the power early, uh, the speed, the, the defense. I think he made an error the other night, but, um, you know, that's, that's pretty good for a guy who hasn't played much outfield. He's only been there really for a little over a year now. Um, so, he, you know, he, he can do pretty much anything on the baseball field. Uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting. You, you kind of touched on the financial issue. it would be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I think a lot of people were very surprised that the Nationals called him up, given that that's going to start his arbitration clock uh, probably a little bit earlier than, than they might want. But, it, you know, it seems lately that the teams have been willing to buy players out of those arbitration years. And so I wonder if they aren't just sort of assuming that they're going to do that and that it doesn't really matter if they call him up and start his arbitration clock early, because if they sign him to a long-term deal, it doesn't really that doesn't really factor in as much.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point. It seems to be the way a lot of teams are going, and a lot of players are going, too. They like that financial security a little earlier in their career, and they'll sort of happily get rid of a little bit of their... Uh... Maybe a year or two of their free agent years, or their last ARB year, and their first free agent year, something like that. Uh, Bryce Harper has indeed looked good, and uh, surprisingly, he's been really uh, quite a quite something to see defensively, and that's always uh, a good sign. I remember Derek Barton, who used to Derek Barton. I remember Derek McCamey who used to be a baseballhq.com minor league expert, along with you, used to say. These young players get into the league based on their ability to to use the glove and then they stay because they can hit. And this guy looks like he's got that first part already nailed down. He's made some great plays out there.
4: Yeah, he really has. And I mean you can still see it's kinda of raw because the play he made where he went uh you know, caught the ball up against the wall. He didn't really take the most direct route to the ball, but that you know, that natural athleticism that he have allowed him to make that play. Um, you know, and and, and he's just got he's got good speed and he's got good instincts. He's still raw, but uh, but he's really got a lot of potential.
0: And, of course, we saw him play with Mike Trout on the same team at First Pitch Arizona last year. He, they both looked a little tired after a long season, but it was pretty obvious then that Bryce Harper could play. Uh, the Washington also called up um, Tyler Moore to play first base. They were looking for a little more offense still, even with Bryce Harper. Uh, Tyler Moore's kind of lost in the glare of the spotlight a little bit. Is he, is he a guy worth looking at?
4: Yeah, I definitely think so, especially – in leagues that where home runs are valuable which is almost every league you play in right um this guy's got a lot of power he hit uh, he had 30 home runs 31 home runs in 2010 and then 30 last year um you know the only question is how much is he going to hit for average he, he, he strikes out a fair amount um doesn't walk all that much and so i think the odds of him hitting for both power and average are not that great but you know there aren't that many guys that hit 30 you know 30 home runs two years in a row in the minors. Um, So I I definitely think there's potential for him having some nice impact if he gets a lot of playing time. I I think he could hit double-digits home home runs easily. It's just a question of how much is he going to hit for average.
0: And a lot of leagues, sometimes if you've got decent average players on your roster, you can can swallow the hit. Uh, Somebody on Facebook uh, had a comment when uh, Tyler Moore got called up you know how you see those girls in the stands who uh, who put up those signs to express their romantic interest and the guy was saying it's only a matter of time before some girl puts up a sign that says I want to marry Tyler Moore yeah (laughs) right (laughs) yep (laughs) I mentioned Mike Trout who was on that same team with Bryce Harper in the AFL last year Mike Trout it has now been called up and uh you say he's got one of the potential to be one of the game's best players because he's just got it all,
4: yeah, and i I think you know he gets interesting because he got off to another slow start, um and you have to wonder at some level are you know are the nerves playing in there it doesn't that doesn't seem to have bother Bryce Harper, which maybe is you know to to his benefit he he just doesn't harper didn't seem to be phased by the the call up at all in fact it it brought up more intensity. It seemed like with with Mike Trout, I think there was a little tentativeness there, uh, both when he got called up last year and then when he got called back up again this year. But he's he's finally starting to come around. He's nine for twenty two in his last six games, including a three for five performance on Thursday. So I, I do think he's coming around there. I think he's not going to be. He doesn't have the same kind of lights out power that uh, that Bryce Harper has. But he could be the kind of guy that might hit 20 home runs and steal 40 bases, depending on what the Angels do with him if they let him run. Um, but he's got that kind of speed, that kind of game-changing speed. Um, and I think he's really starting to finally settle in, and you can start to see that potential there, and it's actually coming out in the games now.
0: And with that speed, uh, that that's always a help, especially for a young player, to beat out a few hits and maybe help his batting average a little more than you might expect from a guy who didn't have it.
4: Yeah. You know, and I think speed, speed never, you know, goes into a slump. And so he can, right. You can, he might beat out a couple of hits. He might be able to steal some bases, play solid defense. And so that's always going to be there as an asset. And, uh, you know, even if he goes a couple of games without hits, he might still be able to make some, some impact uh either on the bases or, or in, on defense.
0: So let me ask you, if you were looking, if you were playing just for this year and you had your choice, do you want Trout or do you want Harper?
4: Oh, I'd take Harper. I mean, that you know that he he has that kind of potential where he could get in a groove and, and and hit you know six home runs in a week or something like that you know and, and I just don't, don't think Mike Trout's going to do that and I think the Angels will probably be a little bit cautious about turning him loose on the base pass and so I think a, a couple of years from now it might be a little bit more interesting of a debate um, but I, I'd take the power for now just because there's no way to hold that back you know um but with trout I, I could see the angels kind of being a little bit conservative with him on the on the base pass and that's going to be hit one of his main assets is is the stolen base
0: yeah that's right i mean uh, there's no team that's going to tell a guy don't hit home runs out there uh, right but they might tell him to to stay put on the base paths you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick davitt with rob gordon a minor league expert from baseball hq.com and and rob uh a little bit of a surprise to some that the Dodgers called up right-handed pitcher Nate Iovaldi all the way from Double A, probably to pitch in the middle innings. Were you surprised, and whether you were or not, how do you think he's going to do?
2: Well,
4: I guess a little bit surprised. It seems like they've kind of jerked him back and forth a little bit. Is he going to be a starter or is he going to be a reliever? Um, you know, and in a young guy that really can can be uh, you know a little bit troubling. They just they need to kind of get into a rhythm and, and develop a certain mindset about about starting or relieving. Um, and so it seems like they've, they've kind of yanked him back and forth a little bit on that. But, uh, I do think he's got good stuff. I think control is always going to be the issue with him. Um, you know, and maybe that's what they're thinking. If we put him in middle relief, he won't be in either high pressure situations. He can just go out there and, and pitch and learn how to, you know, how to throw his stuff and, uh, you know, work on, his, on his command. Um, he's got really good stuff. I mean, he, he's really electric. We, you know, I saw him this spring and, uh, spring training game and he looked fantastic. Um, you know, and he, he pitched as a starter in that game, um, and, and so I think long term, uh, he's he's really got to improve his secondary pitches if he's going to be if he's going to be a starter. But you know, the worst case scenario is he ends up being a seventh, eighth, or even a ninth inning guy if, if that doesn't work out. Um, so I'm not surprised that they called him up. I think he's ready to pitch in the majors. I just think they need to figure out where he's going to pitch.
0: The Boston Red Sox uh, are having a difficult time of it, to say the least, with some injuries and some poor play just generally. Now Kevin Euclid is on the DL, and the Red Sox promoted both Will Middlebrooks to play third base and Jose Iglesias to give them some insurance maybe in the infield. Uh, Give us the lowdown on Middlebrooks first, and then we'll come back and talk about Jose Iglesias.
4: Well, Middlebrooks can hit. (laughs) I think we've already seen that. Um, you know, he's got off to a very nice start, um, it, you know, and I think he's he's going to be a professional hitter. I think he's solid defensively. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much of he's going to hit a, a ton of power, you know, at the end of the day, but I think he's going to hit for average. Um, I, I really like him. I, you know, I think he's gone under the radar for I'm not exactly sure why he does, but um, he's a really good prospect. And, and I think he's going to be just fine um iglesias is i don't know if if any of the listeners out there have ever seen him play but he's he might be one of the you could just go to batting practice and watch him take infield and that's worth the price of admission he's he's so smooth and so good defensively and he's got a good arm um i'm just not sure if he's ever going to hit for enough average his career minor league numbers are 259 average with a 310 on base percentage and a 311 slugging percentage so this guy's a definitely def- defense first guy, and you know, in Boston, they have to wonder like, even if he's you know the greatest thing since sliced bread on defense, are they going to be content with a guy who's who's really not going to provide a ton of offense?
0: And uh, Jose Iglesias, can he run at least if he manages to sneak his way on the base by learning to take a walk?
4: No, I mean, of you know, he's he's he moves well. He's got good range, but he's not he's not a plus runner. Um, and so you, you, like I said, his, his offense is, is, really fairly limited. Um, you know, it'd be one thing if he was like a, like a Billy Hamilton kind of guy who'd steal 60, 70 bases and play that kind of defense, but he, he's just not that kind of player.
0: Is there any hard and fast way to say, okay, a guy in AAA is hitting around 260 that we can save. That means in the major leagues, he'll hit 240. I know we have at Baseball HQ, a more sophisticated set of tools called minor league equivalents that, uh, really go into the skill base to try to make those kind of determinations but as a rough rule of thumb is there a knock 20 points off rule or anything like that
4: yeah i in general i think you know that the, the minor league equivalencies really do a good job of, of looking at that, that more in, in detail but I, I would say the rule of thumb is going to be anywhere from 20 to 30 points you'd knock off the the average you know um yeah it obviously depends on the players some players get more focused once they get called up and uh, and those guys, you know, are gonna be exceptions. But I would say in general you're gonna do that. So if a guy's got a career of two fifty nine minor league average, you know, you're, you're you're likely looking at a guy who's gonna hit two two twenty, right? At least initially.
0: Yeah, which all of which is going to work against him. I mean they seem to be satisfied with Mike Avilas playing short there and you know taking some substandard defense in exchange for getting some pop from the bat, a few bags here and there and, and he's He's not good with the leather, but he's, he's not, uh, you know, completely horrendous. So I wonder if Jose Iglesias is probably going to spend a lot of time sitting around.
4: Yeah, and that's my concern is that, you know, he really, if he's going to, if he's going to, I mean, he's only 22, so he's still a young guy. Um, but if he's ever going to sort of be a full-time regular, he's got to learn how to hit, you know. And, and, I, and sitting on the bench and playing, either coming in in the seventh or eighth inning for defense or, you know, playing every you know, two games a week or something, I, I, that's not really going to help his development.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com talking about prospects. The Colorado Rockies called up left-hander Christian Friedrich from AAA. What's his projection and how do you think he's looked so far? The, the
4: first start he had, he looked really good and he's been good so far this year. I just don't know which Christian Friedrich we're going to get. So he had a really good year in 2009, uh, you know, his, his first full season uh, and kind of had a nice breakout season there after being first, you know, a first-round draft pick in 08. And then really struggled in 2010 and 2011 and posted a 5.05 ERA in 2010 and followed that up with a 5 ERA in 2011. So, uh, you know, control has been something that, that he's struggled with, uh, as, as most young pitchers do. Um, so far, he's looked, that's looked much better this year. He's only walked 5 batters in 36 innings between, between um, the minors and the majors. And he's got 34 strikeouts. And so... Um, you know, things look back on track for him, but it's such a small sample size that I would really take a wait-and-see approach with him. Um, you know, he he just makes me – having two years in a row where had over five ERA or five ERA or over um, – it makes me a little bit nervous and so I, I would say let let him get a couple more starts like that before you, especially in colorado before you go out there and roster him
0: tough nowadays though a lot of times you got to make these decisions a lot faster than you'd like to because everybody else in your league is there's always somebody who's going to take a gamble on a guy especially if their own pitchers are you know suffering or on the dl or something like that uh, rob a little uh, while ago i was talking with with uh, Matt Beagle, our American League analyst, and we mentioned uh, that Brian Dozier has stepped in as the Twins' new starting shortstop. You
4: know, we saw him down in the fall league last year. He's not a big guy, and, and he doesn't have a lot of power, but he can hit. Uh, he has pretty good speed. He's a solid defender. The nice thing about him is he can play either shortstop or second base. Um, you know, and uh, that's kind of nice to have that that ability. And, he's, you know, he's not a great defender at shortstop, but he's capable. He's pretty good at second base, though. Um, last year he hit 320 with 33 doubles 12 triples and nine home runs so again he's you know he's not going to have a ton of power but he did have 20 st- 24 stolen bases and his strikeout to walk ratio was 55 to 66 so he, it seems to me this is a kind of guy that's a, a pretty good hitter he's going to get on base he has pretty decent speed um, you know if if he settles in at either of those positions and, and gets to play the whole season i wouldn't be surprised if he puts up really good numbers um, long term, I really kind of see him more as a second baseman but even if even if that is you got a, a guy who steals twenty bases at second base and can hit three hundred, that has plenty of
0: value. it does indeed uh, in Milwaukee, the Brewers had that injury to Matt Gamble. He's done for the year, so they brought up uh, Taylor Green, a, a third baseman, a left-handed hitter going to give them a little infield depth. Will he play and will he play well?
4: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think you know he he's not great at any position really. His third base is probably his best spot. Um, you know, so he's going to be learning first base kind of on the fly. Um, you know, he has a good bat last year he hit 336 with 22 home runs, uh, pretty solid plate discipline. So, you know, he's got a good bat. He just, you know, it's just going to be a question whether he's going to be able to get full time at bats there. Um, I think if he does, he'll put up pretty decent numbers and I would definitely, especially with it's, it, it's not like Euclid's where he's going to be out a little while. Gamble's done for the year. So they need to find somebody that's going to play regularly there, and and I think Green's got a really good chance at that. He was one of our sleepers at the beginning of, uh, of the year, and I think this really opens up an opportunity for him.
0: Another power hitter that got called up was Michael Taylor in Oakland. Coco Crisp hits the DL. Surprise! Yeah. And, uh, and Michael Taylor comes back. It seems like Michael Taylor's uh, been called up every year since uh, – Uh, Jose Canseco left. Of course, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but Michael Taylor's been up and down more often than a yo-yo.
4: Yeah, and and he hasn't really done it at the majors. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people that are kind of speculating whether or not he's one of those quad-A players, that he's too good for AAA, but he's just not good enough for the majors. And so he's kind of in between there. Um, you know, before he got called up, he was hitting 3.47. you know, <laughs> just like he always does every time he goes down to the minors, but then they got called up and I think he's three for 16 or something like that after being called up. And so he just, you know, he just doesn't seem to be able to ha- hit major league pitching at this point. Um, but it, it, you hate to give up on the guy cause he's got, he's got a nice power speed potential there. Uh, you know, from an outfielder, he, if he really, if everything sort of fit together and he, he figured out how to hit he, he's the kind of guy that could be a 2020 player. I mean, he's got that kind of power and he's got that kind of speed. Um, it's just I haven't seen any evidence that he can hit Major League pitching at this point.
0: And finally, we talked about one double-A pitcher uh, coming up. That was uh, Nate Uvaldi from the Dodgers. The uh, Arizona Diamondbacks also called up a double-A pitcher, Pat Corbin, who's going to make his Major League debut uh, earlier this year. What's the story with Pat Corbin? Uh,
4: I like Corbin. I saw him a couple times in spring training. Um, throw strikes. You know, he's not going to overpower hitters. So, kind of a 90 to 92 mile an hour fastball. You know, pretty good breaking ball. Um, I, I think he's. He, I think he's going to be a little bit short to be. You know, the kind of dominant left-handed starter you'd really like to see in the majors. So, he's more of a fourth or fifth starter. I think you could. You know, he'd be serviceable. I think in the starts that he's had so far, he hasn't gotten blown out in any of the starts, but he hasn't really. He hasn't really wowed anybody either. Um, and the reality is that with with Trevor Bauer and Tyler Skaggs, the the Diamondbacks have a lot of really good options coming hard on his heels. And so, if he doesn't if he doesn't sort of, uh, I mean, he's got a very short window of opportunity before somebody with better stuff comes along and, and pushes him uh, back down to the minors or into into the bullpen.
0: Yeah, so far what's he got? Like nine innings, his ERA is seven. Uh... Right. Whip of two, so that's not going to uh, really get the job done. This is Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick David and Rob Gordon from baseballhq.com. And Rob, let's turn to some updates from guys that we've been following, some of them for quite a long time in the minor leagues. Starting in San Diego, the Padres, Yasmani Grandall came over in a very ballyhooed trade from cincinnati and he started the year on the dl now he's back playing i guess or will be shortly how's he doing
4: uh he's doing pretty well he had he had a uh, hamstring injury this spring and so that put him on the dl um he's pretty you know he's kind of holding his own since he since he came back he's in 275 uh pretty good on base percentage 415 on base percentage with a couple doubles and a couple home runs and, and 51 at bats um you know and, and really he's just kind of getting back into the groove and thing in at, at, at this point in time and so um you know, I think I think there's it's a little early to kind of read much into his stats. Um, he's an average defender behind the plate, so he's really going to have to to hit, which is really his calling card. He's kind of an above average hitter with moderate power potential. Um, you know, I think in San Diego, he he's the kind of guy that you're going to want behind the plate. He's he's decent enough defensively, and I think you know that team really needs some offense. And um, and he you know he's not going to hit a ton of home runs in that park, but he should hit for a pretty decent average. Um, so I think things are going well for him. I'd, I'd look for him to be in the majors, maybe second half of the season um, if he's healthy and, and hitting the way he can.
0: Arizona's got a young player, Adam Eaton. His name is, and uh, so far, about the biggest news he ever made was starting to pick up some big paychecks that belong to the old Adam Eaton, the <laughs> former major leaguer. But uh, Adam Eaton, he got off to a hot start in the minors. Where is he now, and what's he doing? Uh,
4: he's fun to watch. We saw him in the fall league last year, and he's he's just he hustles all the time on the bases. Uh, you know every every base hit he gets, he's he's round and first hard, looking at it, looking for an opportunity to stretch it into a double. Um, you know he had a real good year last year. He he hit well over three hundred. This year he's hitting three sixty two um, with fourteen walks and twelve stolen bases and in one hundred and thirty eight at bat. So he you know he's the kind of guy that's going to get if you played him. Reg- I, the problem is that he's so small. He's five eight and really doesn't have much power. So he's going to have to battle against that stereotype about, you know, just like Jose Altuve is for the Astros, about being too small and he can't hit and he's not going to have enough power. Um, So he really probably is going to have to, to work against that and he might end up just being a fourth outfielder. But he's really fun to watch, and he brings a spark of enthusiasm to the game and you know plays it the right way. And, and he's the kind of guy, if he did get to play for some reason, he got to play full-time, He, I, I would not be surprised if he had 300 with a 400 on base percentage. He's probably not going to provide much power, but he's fun to watch.
0: And he could steal you a few uh, as well. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have a couple of guys named Travis, uh, one— Trajectory seems markedly different from the other. The catcher, Travis Darno, we've talked about him before, uh, uh, Rob. Maybe you could bring us up to date on him. And then Travis Snyder who uh been like a top prospect in the Blue Jays organization for quite some time, still struggling. Now they've signed Vlad Guerrero, which seems to push Travis Snyder even further from the major league. So bring us up to date on these two Travises.
4: Yeah, Darren Own is uh, he's gotten off to he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but uh, has warmed up lately. Uh and I'd still say he's on track to reach the majors by the middle of the season. Um you know, he's in about two seventy five with a little bit of power um JPR and CBS, you know certainly not doing anything to to slow down Darnone he's sitting 227 with uh you know three walks and 21 strikeouts so he might he might get there even sooner but um i i think he's on track he's he's one of the more exciting catching prospects in baseball um he had a fantastic year last year and showed a lot of power um and i think you know he's he'll be up he'll be up by mid season. i wouldn't I, I would i would bet, you know he's uh, he's at triple a AAA right now with Travis Snyder i don't know what to make of him um He's, you know, he, again, just like Michael Taylor is maybe one of those quad A players that every time he goes down to the minors, he just tears it up. Um, You know, he had a slow start this spring, um, didn't make the team, got sent down, and then immediately, you know, he's hitting 370 down there with 10 doubles and four home runs. He had a wrist injury. So that set him back a little bit. But, um, you know, he's got his, his play discipline's actually getting better. That was one of his problems in the past. But he's got 12 walks and 13 strikeouts and 81 at bats. He's still fairly young. He's only 24. But I do think that the Blue Jays, for whatever reason, have soured on him. Um, and so I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him get traded. In fact, I think he needs to get traded and have a fresh start someplace else. I think there's still some potential there. But I think he's worn out as welcome in Toronto.
0: I think you're right. Uh, there's a couple of pitchers from the Pirates I'd like to talk about. Uh, of course, everybody knows about Garrett Cole, a f- top draft pick and a Pirates prospect, and you can tell us about him. But first, you also like a pitcher named Rudy Owens. What's his story? Well, he doesn't get a lot of
4: attention. He's he's not flashy like Garrett Cole. He doesn't have that 100-mile-an-hour fastball and light up the radar gun. Uh, his fastball sits in the you 92-93 know, range. Um, decent curveball, nice changeup. But this is another one of those guys that just throws strikes. Um, he struggled a little bit last year, so he kind of wasn't on very many people's radars. I think he had a 505 VRA, and then he got shut down. He had arm fatigue and got shut down. Um, but he's 100% this spring, and he's been lights out. He's 2-0 and with a 2.25 VRA with just two walks and 30 strikeouts. So you, lo- I personally love to see that ratio. That means that he's going to come in and throw strikes. He's, he thinks you can see when he's pitching, you can see him setting up hitters. Um, you know, thinking like, I'm going to throw this pitch here, change the eye level, and then come back with my breaking ball here. Nice change up. Um, you know, nothing that none of his pitches really jump out at you, but he throws all three of them for strikes, and he knows when to throw them. So he's, he's just fun to watch. Um, Garrett Cole is sort of the exact opposite of that. He's just He just rears back and just can fire it past people. He's just really fun to watch. He's been solid so far. They started him out at the Florida State League. I think that maybe surprised some people that maybe they thought the Pirates would, would start him off at double-A, but I think it's actually smart of them to start him off in the Florida State League. It's warm weather. The competition's a little bit more, you know, manageable for him. Uh, so he's got a three fifty four ERA with 10 walks and 34 strikeouts in 28 innings. So a little bit concerned about – he's been a little bit wild, which was always the knock on him in college. Um, you know, he and uh, Trevor Bauer were in the same rotation at UCLA. And and Bauer's still more dominant than Garrett Cole at this point. And so Cole has better long-term potential because he's got that 95 to 100-mile-an-hour fastball, whereas Bauer's fastball is more in the 93, 94 range. But he just he just hasn't gotten it all together yet. And so the potential is still there. He's doing fine. Um, he just is going to take a little bit longer, I think, than, than Bauer and some of these other guys are.
0: Just a minute ago, when we were talking about hitters, Rob, you mentioned uh, the the rule of thumb—maybe thirty points or so off a guy's batting average from from uh, the high minors into the big leagues. What about a ERA?
4: I'd probably say a, maybe a full run, you know, a full run with ERA. So if it's you know if he's a if a guy's at a three five and he comes up, he, you're probably looking most likely the a guy's going to be over over a four somewhere, maybe even as close to to a four point five ERA. Uh,
0: a little while ago in your minor league minute, and also we talked about. Yeah, uh, him here at Baseball HQ Radio the last time you were on, you had high words for San Diego left-handed Robbie Erlin. Is he very close now?
4: Yeah, I think especially with the sort of chaos that's been going on in the, in the Padres rotation, uh I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him get the next shot at, uh, at at an opening there. Um so he's pitching very well so far this year. He's got a 2.20 ERA with eight walks and 36 strikeouts. And actually the eight walks is is high for him <laughs> given what he's done in the last couple of years, but uh you know, the eight eight uh, walks to 36 strikeouts, that's a really good ratio. Um, so he's at double A right now. And it seems like the Potteries have been have been promoting their pitchers from double A. Um, so I wouldn't read anything into that. I don't think they think he's going to need much time at triple A. So I really think he's got the next opening in their rotation and, and wouldn't be surprised if, especially in that park, if he pitches pretty effectively when he comes up.
0: And I can't uh, talk about prospects and where they are without mentioning Billy Hamilton. I know I bring him up every time you're on, but uh, you know this hundred potential hundred stolen base guy in the Reds organization. I'm a Reds fan. Always curious, uh, Billy Hamilton. Where's he at? Is he gonna? Is he still making errors at shortstop? Or does he still profile as an outfielder? Yeah,
4: he's still making a ton of errors. He's got I think ten, eleven errors already this year at shortstop. Um, but you know, I think long term, <laughs> I just I, I think it's going to be hard for him to stay at shortstop. Uh, I, I'm surprised that the Reds haven't already moved him to center field, given um, given where he's at offensively, um, it, just to sort of accelerate that time frame. So he's in the Cal, uh, which is you know, a notoriously hitter friendly league, and, and Billy Hamilton's definitely taken advantage of that. He's hitting 364, actually showing a little bit more plate discipline. He's he's already got double digit walks. Um, you know, showing a little bit of power, mostly doubles and triple power, but still that you, you like to see that from a guy who has a reputation as being kind of a slash and run kind of guy. Uh, this guy can put the ball in the gap occasionally and just let his, his speed, uh, turn loose. And he's of course got 33 stolen bases in, in just 30 games. So, you know, he's racking up more than a, more than a stolen base per game. Uh, there was a stretch there. I think he had 16 stolen bases in seven games or something crazy like that.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it he can run and and of course while he's got a lot of issues, especially defensively, it sure would be fun to see him in a Reds uniform. Mind you, they have organizational issues when they're trying to figure out where they're gonna put him and so right. on. Uh, Rob, before we let you go, there's we talked about uh, uh Bryce Harper and the arbitration eligibility and whether a lot of times teams wait till late May or early June to get past that super two date. Uh, Leaving all that aside, there are no such limits when an organization wants to move a guy up from low A to high A or into double A or whatever. And I'm wondering, what do these promotions or the lack of them tell us about a prospect's progress? And is there anybody jumping out this year because he got promoted way ahead of schedule or maybe demoted? Anybody jumps out at you?
4: Well, I I think, you know, certainly anytime you're going to see a promotion or a demotion at this point in time, um, that's a that's a pretty big sign because usually teams are going to give players at least a couple months to to kind of prove themselves. Um, you know, I think they don't want to they don't want to second guess the players to start second guessing themselves. Um, there really haven't been a lot of really stunning promotions at this point. Um, there are some guys I think that'll that'll happen relatively soon. Um, Adam Eaton that we talked about earlier already did get a promotion to AAA, but in part that was because um, AJ Pollock got promoted to the majors, and so there was an opening on the AAA roster for an outfielder. So normally that it's not just that the player is ready for a promotion, but there has to be a place to put them on the team on the next level up. Uh, and usually those, you know, the players that are at, say, the AAA team, they don't want to, they don't want to cut bait on those guys, um, or they're not ready for the majors. And so sometimes it's just a matter of there being an opening. Um, I certainly think there's a number of players that are on the verge of that, um, but there haven't been a lot of other than the Bryce Harper promotion. Um, couple of players have been have been moved back down just because they looked like they were overmatched, but for the most part, teams are, are, are standing pat.
0: And finally, Rob, what prospect-related scouting content can BaseballHQ.com subscribers look forward to in the next few weeks? Well, we're
4: getting close to draft season, so uh, the draft takes place on June 4th through June 6th, uh, so on 5-25, on May 25th, we'll have a, um, a draft preview, and then, of course, uh, on the the Friday after the draft, we'll have our um, annual scouting reports on all the first round picks. And so Jeremy Deloney and I will go through and, uh, and provide a scouting report for an, on each player that's drafted in the first round. So that's always an exciting time of year. Uh, this year's draft is probably, well, not probably, it is a, a lot weaker than it was last year. Last year's draft was really good, especially in pitching. And so this year, uh, there are very few college position players that are, that are going to be taken in the first round. So it'll mostly be high school guys and then college pitchers. Um, so that's going to be uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about quite a bit on the on the site in the next month or so.
0: Rob, thanks very much for taking the time to talk with us. You'll be back in just a second with your Minor League Minute, and we'll catch up with you again all during the year. You can keep bringing us up to date on these prospects. Great. Thanks, Patrick. That's Rob Gordon, minor league expert at BaseballHQ.com. He's part of our regular weekly commentaries that come up next. You are listening to Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Let me say something about greenies. First of all, greenies were not performance enhancers at the best, they allowed a guy with a hangover or somebody who didn't get any sleep that night to be more alert and he was able to play up to his normal ability. So they were performance enabling. They were not in performance enhancers. They did not they did not make him a better player than he ordinarily would. That's the difference between amphetamines and these uh, uh, human growth hormones and, and steroids. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's okay. I, I think there should be a ban on amphetamines, too, because they're not healthy. But they have to be put into a different category, uh, you know, than, than the uh, human growth hormones. They're, they're probably something a little bit better than a cup of coffee in terms of the stimulation that you get. So I think you you need to, uh, baseball needs to make a distinction there.
0: Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Matt Beagle on deck with his market pulse. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is in the hole with master notes and leading off the minor league minute. We welcome back BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon to tell us about St. Louis outfield prospect Oscar Tavares.
4: The St. Louis Cardinals' Oscar Taveras opened a lot of eyes when he led the Midwest League in hitting last year. Not only did Taveras hit an impressive 386 with the pitcher-friendly Midwest League, but he did it for most of the season as an 18-year-old and was easily the league's most dynamic player. The only knock against Taveras was that he might fall a bit short in the power department. And after just 30 games in 2012, Deveras seems to already put those concerns to rest. On the year, Tavares is hitting 331 with a 378 on base percentage and a very impressive 678 slugging percentage. He already has 10 doubles and 9 home runs and just 118 at-bats for AA Springfield. Despite being one of the youngest players at AA, Tavares has already outpaced his home run production for all of 2011 when he hit just 8 round trippers. Tavares is only an average runner, but he does have good instincts in center field, reads the ball well, and has a strong throwing arm. For now, Tavares is getting most of his starts in center, but long-term, his average speed but plus arm strength could result in a move to right field, where his plus power profiles well. Tavares' ability to consistently square up the ball along with his newfound power gives him the potential to be a solid middle-of-the-order run producer for years to come. If Oscar Tavares can continue at anything close to this pace, he is easily a top-ten prospect for 2013 and could even be in St. Louis by September. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league
0: analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with the comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on these rising stars. Just this week, Jeremy's call-up reports have looked at Tampa outfielder Brandon Geyer, Colorado left-hander Christian Friedrich, the Twins shortstop Brian Dozier, and many others, and Colby Garropy's watch list column looked at 27-year-old prospects with something to prove. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now, the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about should you trade Josh Hamilton, right now so josh hamilton hits four
2: home runs in a game should you sell high or ride out this career year well the answer is yes and no you should trade high if you get a great offer for hamilton if someone who is in your top five or maybe even top 10 on draft day that doesn't have the injury risk of hamilton comes your way in exchange for josh that's probably a deal you want to do You can get a Troy Tulowitzki, an Albert Pujols owner who's frustrated, a Miguel Cabrera, someone who's definitely a proven producer at the top of your game, or at a scarce position like Tulowitzki, possibly. The reason is that Hamilton most likely will not complete 624 at-bats as he did in 2008. More likely, he's going to have some injuries he's not had any yet and finish with 400 or 500 at-bats. Still a very good season, but not the great numbers when you extrapolate them from the current production. So if you can get a more proven person who is probably going to produce better for the rest of the year, sure, you should do that deal. But don't rush into trading him just because he's off to a hot start. You need to find that owner who will panic and overpay to get the guy they perceive as the next breakthrough dominant player. You have to realize the reality that Hamilton most likely will get injured and therefore make a trade for the good player. But don't trade him just because his value is at its highest. Don't get suckered in for a three-for-one deal of three decent players for one great one. Figure out what you need. Look at what's happening in the season. Use Baseball HQ metrics to see which guys are performing High based on improved skills versus which ones have a lucky hit rate or an unlucky strand in pitchers. Look for those guys who have metrics that show what they'll do the rest of the season. The odds are Josh Hamilton's not going to keep up his 247 power index for the rest of the year. His career high is 174, and even that's a really high power index. He's not going to keep up his 41% hit rate, although he did have a 39% hit rate in 2010 which posted a 359 batting average, odds are he's not going to keep up that hit rate again, even though his hit rate's in the mid to upper 30s. So with Hamilton, understand you still have a potentially very great player on your hands, but one who's injury prone. If you can spread that risk among another top player or among two other players nearly of Hamilton's caliber for the rest of the season, do it. But don't trade him just because his values at the top and he's an injury risk. Be sure you're getting fair value for this player who, while healthy and while producing, will still command a premium even as the season winds down. With the Market Pulse for Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Matt Beagle.
0: Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about they're dropping like flies.
3: I've been hearing a lot of bellyaching lately about the huge increase in injuries this year. Fantasy leaguers have been hit with major losses to high profile players like Evan Longoria, Carl Crawford, Pablo Sandoval, and Jacoby Ellsbury. This past week was a tough one, I'll give you that, but on a grand scale, this might actually be considered a moderate year compared to recent seasons. Over the past four years, about 50% of all players in the preseason ADP Top 300 ended up spending some time on the disabled list. If it was evenly distributed, we would expect about 10% of the players to hit the DL in any given month. Note that we remove September from that calculation because teams don't typically use the DL in September. So, we'd expect 10% per month, but that percentage is not evenly distributed during the season the rate of injuries tends to be somewhat elevated at the beginning of the year. Two reasons. First, there's carryover from March. On opening day, there are already a bunch of players on the DL. Second, between the cold weather and players not being adequately conditioned after the long winter, we typically see a bunch of minor muscle pulls and strains and the like. Teams don't take risks with their expensive investments, so players will be placed on the DL at the slightest provocation where does this leave us now? Well, we might expect maybe 15% of the top 300 to have hit the DL already this year. The actual figure thus far, 16%. Pretty much on pace, still, that's just shy of 50 players. But more telling might be where these hobbling players are coming from, from what part of the top 300. If more players are getting hurt at the top of the list, that might justify all the concern so I looked at the top 30 over the past four years. I only have full season data but it's still telling. In 2009, 14 players from the top 30 ended up on the DL at some point during that season. In 2010, 12 of the top 30 hit the DL. Last year, 16 of the top 30 were on the DL at some point during the season. So far this year, just three, Ellsbury, Longoria and Cliff Lee. Yes, it's only five weeks in, but it's not like the sky is falling. Maybe it feels worse with all the underperformances, with players like Albert Pujols, Robinson Cano, Jose Reyes, and Tim Lincecum all struggling. It feels worse than it actually is. The bullpens, though, that's another story. Based on the past decade or so of history, we would expect perhaps 10 to 12 front-line closers to lose their jobs during the course of the season due to injury or underperformance. 10 to 12. This year, since draft day alone, they have already been 14 closers upended. Since the end of last season, 20 of the 30 bullpens have seen turnover in their ninth inning guy. This is crazy. Of course, there is a fantasy upside, if you will. For those of you who typically backload your pitching staffs with second and third tier bullpen options, it's been a freakin' field day. In one league I'm in, I now have five closers. Too bad it's a league that doesn't allow trades. Hmm. One last piece of data. Typically 70% of a season's surprise performances are players backing into unexpected playing time. <laughs> I suspect we'll be breaking some more records this year. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler.
0: Boy, when I heard Ron was going to be talking about dropping like flies, my first thought was the Minnesota Twins infield. Did you see that game the other night? The Toronto Blue Jays were visiting Minnesota and the Toronto shortstop Yunel Escobar stuck a pop fly that went about 200 feet straight up and about 5 feet out from the plate and uh, the Twins let it fall for the cheapest single you're ever likely to see. Back in the day, you know, Tony Kubek when he was a broadcaster for NBC on the Game of the Week used to say that there should be something called a team error, so that a ball that fell without being touched and you couldn't really point the finger at any particular player would still not qualify as a base hit. Given the way scoring goes nowadays in baseball, maybe that's an idea whose time has yet to come. Ron Chandler writes a weekly column that appears every Friday at BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about rubber hammer leagues. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 Eastern at usatoday.com and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. But remember, Ron also has those master notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May the 12th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 17 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and take a second to go to iTunes and give our show those five stars. I also want to thank our guest today, starting with Rob Gordon, minor league expert with BaseballHQ.com. Always a pleasure to talk with Rob. He's a very knowledgeable guy, and prospects are so important in so many modern fantasy formats. Also want to thank our regular lineup from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator this week. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon doing double duty. And our Master Notes commentator, as always, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com this week. Ray Murphy has a speculator column called Put Me In, Coach, looking at high-skilled players who don't have roles, for now. Plus, we have our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday. This week, I wrote about the holes problem at BaseballHQ.com. And in the meantime, I hope to see you on the site's subscriber forums. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.